Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here, as always, in the Santa Monica studios, and a real treat this week. We're in the clay court swing, road to Roland Garros, two guests on the show, which is a rarity. Rarity. You got reoccurring guest, three-time major doubles champion, number one in the world, former guy, coach, everything, now analyst, broadcaster, Mark Knowles. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be on the podcast. And uh, we're also joined by a, a new a new broadcaster, a producer. Save the best for last. Save the best for last. You can find him Mr. on... Mr. Chiz. Give me something good. You can find him on T2. Here you go. I got this. <laughs> you can find him on your T2, on your Samsung TVs, uh, match hosting, broadcasting, producing TC Lives, former Cal Golden Bear. And uh, I think your mom wanted me to read this. You beat Sam Query once, and you might be a better quarterback than Jimmy Clausen. Jeff Chisabert. <laughs> Jimmy Clausen, wow. that's good. That's impressive. When you bring out high school football, yeah. Knowles is involved. Knowles I know, involved. I know. It's it's got so my nice. attention now. Yeah, that was, hey, back in the day, I mean, you might have had a better, what, play fake, play action? There's a very famous picture that circulates around the network when the 10 and unders might beat Query 6060, and there's a little honorable mention and a main player, so thank you for bringing that up. How old was he then? We're he one year six, apart. Right? No. He was nine, I was 10. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Double bagel? You didn't even give him a game? Correct. I think <laughs> wow. it was sectional. You're harsh. Do you man. think that do you think that he holds that against you more or the fact that you won what player of the of the newspaper of the year and I he don't, didn't? I, don't, I he cannot remember <laughs> this. Although he does I will say this when I ever do this next topic. This is <laughs> no, no, long. finish it. It's good. <laughs> no, I'm just we from the No, I really just next. Okay. Please. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, we were talking golf. We're gonna get to the tennis tour uh in a second, but we were talking golf, Mark. I got to ask you about the event. Yeah, it was awesome. I got invited to my first Pro-Am celebrity event. Uh, It was at Las Colinas Country Club in Dallas. And wow, I mean, for me, what what a thrill. Uh, Obviously, I'm a sports fanatic. So to be amongst, you know, not only the great, uh, you know, senior tour players, I love golf, um, but also to be with all the other legends from various sports and to be with our legend, our tennis legend, Marty Fish, <laughs> yeah. who came through and represented once again for all of us. Um, it was a thrill. Also, Jack Sock was there, which was really cool. So, you know, we had three tennis players representing, and uh, you know, I think I think we showed pretty well. We did, we did fairly well for our first showing. Yeah, that entry list was insane, just all the people that were there. And I know you, you talked about how the tennis players wanted to show out. Uh, Marty Fish is the legend because what he's doing on the golf course, it's almost like he picked the wrong sport. Yeah, you know, I know Marty extremely well, um, and I think, you know, I played with him a ton. Um, obviously, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty biased. I think he's amazing. Um, but, you know, in talking to real pros, whether they're on the PGA Tour or on the Champions Tour, you know, they say T to green, Marty's about as good as anybody. Mm-hmm. And, and Marty will admit it himself that, you know, possibly his short game is not at the level of those guys. I think that's where the kind of rubber meets the road. But, um, you know, definitely yeah. when, Rod, when Marty first retired, Obviously, he thought about going that route of, of becoming a true professional golfer. And, 
you know, I really think he has the ability. I think he possibly could have, you know, uh, obviously respect to how hard it is. And I think Marty, having been a former top 10 player and a, and a top player in our, our sport, also respected how difficult it truly is, right? It's one mm-hmm. thing to go out and play well a few times. It's another thing to start playing a sport for a living. Yeah, he beat uh, Tony Romo in sudden death, another, you know, former athlete who got into golf. And Chiz, I know, is someone that golfs a ton. It was Zalatoris, who was a runner-up in the Masters a year ago, who's been golfing with Romo a lot. He said the difference is, like what Mark just said, like it's you could be tee to green, you could do all these certain things. It's like, okay, I'm going to put you behind a tree, save par from here. And well, that's I'm where curious. those guys are kind of level apart. Is I couldn't think of any other professional sport where someone finishes a different sport and then were to play tennis and to be like relevant whatsoever. And you think Marty Fish, if he finished tennis and went golf, like if someone was 500 in the world in tennis, that would be that's really good. Yeah, like how amazing. high do you actually think he could have been ranked in the world if he went to golf after tennis? I mean, I honestly, I mean. I obviously think he could make it. Um, what make it means, that's obviously depends on your definition, but, you know, a much uh, bigger source and more relevant source than me, the, the Golden Bear, Jack Nicklaus, greatest golfer of all time, played nine holes with Marty. Marty shot 31, I believe, uh, five under, and he, that, yeah. he declared that Marty was the greatest amateur <laughs> golfer he's ever played with. So... You don't yeah. really need much more validation than that. But, you know, having known Marty well, he's played with everybody, right? He's good friends with Sergio Garcia, Dustin Johnson, all these guys. And in talking to those guys off the record, yeah, Marty is a incredible golfer. I mean, he is really – he's one of those players that, you know, you almost feel like you'd love to yeah. see him try. But, listen, he's found a nice niche on the celebrity tour. He's been very successful. He's won a lot of them. I think what he did over the weekend was great. He was down, you know, it's the modified Stableford system. He was down two points going into the 54th hole, which was the 18th hole of the third round, to Tony Romo in a two ball with the two pros as well, with the two champions pros. And, you know, Marty made made birdie and Romo made bogey. And that's what had to happen to uh, make up the difference. And then Mm. in extra holes, Marty birdied again. So back-to-back birdies, um, that's clutch. Clutch. Well, there's next year for you to win the event. Yeah, you know, hey, realistic goals are important. (laughs) I'm not sure I ever thought I could win the event. I unfortunately have played too much golf with Marty and know my place in that matchup. Well, uh, it was, you know, fun hearing about that. And I think those events are always cool to see different athletes and different sports interact on the golf course. Uh, switching back to the tennis, we could have done this show, it seems like the last couple weeks, and be the same champions that we're crowning. It's been Alcaraz and Sviantec all year. Uh, Chiz, I guess we can just start with Iga just being a machine. This is three straight Masters 1000 events, four straight tournaments. We're shocked when she loses a set it gets close in a set samsonova gives her a tight tight match but same same thing different surface same day Iga is just remarkable out there and i think her level of compete was the only real new thing we learned that she can actually win these close matches now she's just a sick athlete like 100 percent. especially you see the way she slides she moves around but what I don't think people realize is she's only 20 years old. Like, it's crazy. We talk about Emma being young, Coco Goff. I think Coco's 18. She's only 20. And so with Ash retiring, I think people wondered, oh, Barty was such a legit number one. How many majors would she have won? Now she's gone. How legit of a number <laughs> one is Fontek? And I think it's clear she is. So I'm curious, what type of rivalry did we miss out on with yeah. Ash and Fontek? But... Um, 
I don't know, when she won, was it the COVID RG in 2020? Yeah. It was, it seemed fluky, but now it's insane. It's look like at those sets. for sure, and how look, many is she going to win? It's like, look at those set scores, though. If you look back at that run, she was dismantling. I think Halla yeah. pushed her aside, Kennan in the final. Um, she would have been number one in the world. I keep pointing it out after Miami, regardless, regardless yeah. that she had enough points to pass uh, Ash Barty, who pulled herself out of the rankings. But, Mark, I just don't really see much of a weakness like if you're looking at things to maybe target if you're on the other side of the net it's a tall task is there anything that she could improve on well it's interesting what you said because I remember when she made that run and, and won her first Grand Slam title at the COVID Roland Garros that was played in the fall and you know that was my first thought I was kind of like whoa you know she's gonna win a lot of majors and then she had a little bit of a hiccup right didn't quite come as easily as we might have thought but now she's won 32 of her last 33 sets, four titles in a row. And as Chiz just mentioned, 20 years of age, great athlete. What I like the most, which we haven't seen over the last couple of years in the women's game since the dominance of the Williams and the greats of the past, is that when an opportunity has presented itself on the women's side, they've been very apprehensive to step up. With Ash Barty retiring, and like you said, Ego would have been number one regardless but she has assumed the mantle and she's taken complete control of it, which is not something we've seen in the women's game. I mean, just think about when Emma won the U.S. Open. We thought, oh, wow, this is going to be amazing, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, she's struggled since. You know, we've seen historically throughout the year when Anna Ivanovich moved up the rankings and then kind of disappeared. It's been very hard to be consistent when granted that opportunity. And what Iga is doing now and scary to think at 20 years of age, unfortunate, of course, that Ash Barty has retired. But Iga has, she's taken the mantle. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to continue <laughs> to be the same type of progression for her. What's interesting in looking at her 2020 is I don't think she played after she won that French Open. So that was the end of the year for her. Then she comes out in Australia, and I keep bringing it up. Fourth round loss to Simona Halep. She had a quote after the match. It was something along the lines of, like, Simona had more weapons, more more stuff she could do out there. I've got to get better. So just to see the progress that she's made and how it all came together has been remarkable. Um, no, I mean, she's going to her favorite surface, the clay. After that's the grass where she's a junior Wimbledon champ. And this is an all-court player that, you know, I think, like Mark, you said, like she's assumed the role as being the top dog. Well, that's been the biggest thing. Who wants to assume the role? I mean, obviously, we felt that when Naomi broke through. Right. Obviously, she's had some difficulties off the court and other things, you know, have led to a bit of a struggle and kind of that unwillingness or maybe not being comfortable in the limelight or the position. But as Chiz just mentioned, Iga is extremely comfortable and she's only 20 years of age. So she's yeah. got <laughs> she's got well, her future's already bright, but it's only going to get brighter. Yeah. Last thing on Iga, the last four finals. Uh, let's just run through them. Two in love, four and one, four in love. Two and two. Rafa's like, <laughs> I mean, that's Rafa's a, yeah. her guy, too. I mean, anyone <laughs> yeah. that admires Rafa, you got to think yeah. she's just, like, dialed in, locked in. I think most <laughs> of the top players, they either, some of them are big hitters, they don't play great defense, or some of the past number one players are great on defense, but not big hitters, maybe like Wozniacki, Halep, but she can do both. She's, like, such an athlete, and she's a huge forehand. I want to also start the trend of, because you know, like, only one player wins every week, but we want to give props to the other players that did well in the event. And, I like that. You know, it was good. Yeah, to, yeah it, it was good to see Emma Raducanu play back to competitive tennis. Four and four seems like as good as it yeah, gets against Iga. 
Uh, but she's starting to play well, and uh, you know the draw did open up a little bit, but it was good to see her mark kind of get back to some consistency. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think, at least me personally, I'm a little bit surprised, obviously, the trajectory that her career has taken since she won the U.S. Open. But, you know, it also does go sh- to show it's, it's very difficult at such a young age to all of a sudden be kind of burst onto the scene and, and the stardom, and especially when you consider – you know, being British and, and all of her background, <laughs> the, yeah. the the weight is very heavy, right? So I think it's important for her to obviously think about her tennis. I think recently, maybe even today or yesterday, was announced the split with her coach. So, you know, I think still trying to find the right kind of mix in the coaching department, which is extremely important at such a young developmental age. Um, yeah. But like you said, things trending in the right direction. Yeah, Torben Belts and them have broke, and Emma have broken up. Uh, what do you think about reports out there that sh- they, she might go with a new kind of hybrid method where a team <laughs> of coaches? That would be strange. I think that would be awfully strange. Like for what? Di- for That's mental what and physical or like different? I, it, it, like each like, stroke. It's like experts. Like a it's serve almost. Serve expert, yeah. a mental expert, a. <laughs> a restaurant expert. Like she's a business. Well, no, it's like the modern day, I don't want to say athlete, but like it's viewed as she's like a business and we have to manage different areas of it. So we'll have experts for each thing. I it think is that fascinating, would be a huge though. mistake. Too yeah. many cooks in a chicken in a kitchen is not good. Um, but that's my opinion. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I think I, yeah, well that there is that, but there's also the side of just having some longevity with a coach. We understand, you understand that sometimes things run their courses and, it is time to break up, but it'd be nice to have some continuity, I would think, as you go through these growing pains, because she's still super young, as we keep forgetting. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, her initial coach was Andrew Richardson, you know, that was there when she broke through at the U.S. Open, and I, I think there was pressures, you know, maybe from the parents or whatever to get more of a so-called expert, but to me, coaching is always interesting, right? I mean, we've seen over the last 10 years where more high-profile coaches have come into coaching, especially on the men's side, but... To me, coaching is all about the coach that can connect to their player, regardless of their resume, whether they were a former world number one, whether they, you know, whether they were a former golfer, it doesn't matter, right? It's, it's, you know, having coached a little bit, it is, it is a player that truly believes in what a coach is trying to present to them, also respects their opinion. And that relationship is such a key component. But I think sometimes people fall in love with resumes rather than the actual true connection. It's so standard when you say you take two pros and they're just hitting out on the court and you get random fans watching, a casual fan, you're not going to see much of a difference between the two players. What's the subtle differences in someone in the top 10, 100? If Emma, before her game was mature at all, she catches fire and she wins the U.S. Open, I would like to think that the talent and the ball striking is there, so I would like to think that what she needs is more, uh, I don't know, the going through the full year of a tennis yeah, more seasoning, so to speak. Yeah. Or just like you said, just some mental connection for the, I don't know, for the grind or, you know, the mental part of her game. It's fascinating to see. I mean, we've, we literally never have seen anybody run through qualifying and win a grand slam like that. So still a lot to monitor there. Uh, the last thing, Chiz, uh, Paul Bedosa now up to number two in the world, 62 a year ago, now number two. So uh, continuing her, her ascent, there's only one more spot to go. Uh, that's obviously going to be the toughest spot, but she's put together, and I bring up last year's ranking, as good of a year, as good of a campaign year to year as I think we've seen outside of obviously Barty and Iga. The one thing I love about her game is when you think about all the big hitters, 
they tend to, we say they just have plan A, they don't have a plan B. The plan B is just more of plan A. Mm -hmm. She hits it hard. But when I watch her play, I feel like she's not just going to spray or miss. Whereas, um, I don't know, Rebacana, maybe Maddie Keys, maybe Sabalenka, I feel sometimes they will spray and miss and be a little unclutch at times. But with Bedosa, I feel like she's strong moving side to side. She plays big and she's kind of like got the heaviness to her strokes where she's got whatever we like to say, margin safety over the net. But I don't feel like she's just going to go off the rails and miss. That's why I like the best better game. Yeah, I would agree yeah, with that. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think when you watch her, you know, maturity and composure kind of stand out, as Chiz just mentioned, right? It's just, it's not that erratic. It's not that sporadic, um, but it's pretty composed. It has margin, you know, and I think that's allowed her to move up the rankings. And, uh, you know, she's still relatively young, right? I mean, she's <laughs> only been out there for a very short period. So um, it's going to be challenging to get one more spot, but she's going to put the pressure on Iga. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. More with Mark Knowles, Jeff Chisver here on Tennis Channel Inside In as we uh, switch to the guys. Carlos Alcaraz wins Barcelona. What do you guys think just off the top of, you know, Friday going back to like a college match day, having to win two matches across the board, everybody playing twice on Friday in that Barcelona tournament? That was crazy. Well, I don't know. What do you think? I remember thinking, guys, I don't know. Well, let's ask <laughs> Knowles. I remember thinking how crazy it was they played two matches. But is it that crazy if – on a regular practice day, the pros, I would assume they might do weights, they might do cardio, then they take a rest, and then they play a match later. If it's three-hour match and then another three-hour, that sounds a little nuts, but is it that demanding or crazy to have one day out of the week where you play two matches? Yeah, the concept's not too crazy. I right. mean, as you said, right, Mo most practice sessions are two-a-days, right? Most yeah. guys will maybe get in a set in the morning and then another practice session in the afternoon leading into an event. Um, obviously, it's just it's just a... A departure from the normal schedule. So as long as you can wrap yourselves around it mentally and also make sure you're not involved in two, three-hour battles <laughs> to right. where because the consequences will be how you feel the next day. Um, but I think as far as just a general mindset for a player, sure, it's a bit of an inconvenience, but it's not that big yeah. a deal. I mean, I, they're aware in a short week where you you know have a bigger draw. Um, I think that with Barcelona's uh, 48, maybe you get a buy in the yeah. first round, but you know, generally things can get tight if you have some weather issues. Um, I don't think it's that big of a factor for the players. Would you think that, I mean, I, I know it's always brought up, but people say, well, it's good to be young in that situation. Does that really make much of a difference? I mean, 1000% yeah, as an older person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Carlos, I mean, I bring that up because Carlos wins the event. He wins two matches on Friday, beats Tsitsipas, which we'll get to in a second, but you know, the demon hour match, he had to hit a run around opposite yeah, forehand so to save match point. I mean, he had to save two match points. That was one of them. And then he gets to the final place, Pablo Karina Busta, who props to him. I mean, do you mention those two, three hour matches? That was him. I think I heard Chiz calling the match from that booth right there <laughs> with both our doors shut. Uh, but no, it was, uh, it was another, another step in Carlos Alcaraz's career. And Marky just continues to get better and, we talk about the movement. Clay gives him, I think, more time to get to some of these balls, especially. But 
the fights there too. I mean, the, that was the demon R match where it's like, okay, he had every opportunity to, you know, take that side door out, but he was still digging in. So I'm just, I mean, I can't gush about the kid anymore. It just gets better every week. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody's gushing, right? It's interesting. I saw him play at the end of last year. I was at the next gen uh, finals where he beat Sebastian Corda in the final and just kind of watching him closely, watching him with his team, Juan Carlos Ferrero, and just kind of their approach. I was extremely impressed just with the overall concept of how they were going about things. Obviously, we saw the way he played in Miami was extraordinary. Interesting thing for me, just after Miami, I was down in the Bahamas and I ran into Francisco Roig, obviously the long-term, long-time coach of Rafael Nadal. We sat down, had a long conversation, and he said to me, he said, Mark, this might sound crazy, but I think that Carlos Alcaraz is going to win nine to ten majors, right? A, a guy who hadn't won one, a guy obviously who's coached Rafael Nadal, <laughs> who's won 21 majors, right? So that was kind of a striking comment because, you know, you usually don't throw around those kind of numbers, but obviously it's he's youngest in the top ten since Rafael Nadal. He's now into the top ten. Everything about him screams. It's been a long time, I think, you know, our colleague, former world number one, Jim Courier, we've had long discussions about it. I think he's gone on air to say that he thinks that he will indeed be the next teenage male Grand Slam champion, which, you know, it's been a bit of a shift on the men's side, right, guys? Yeah. Maturing later, playing into a, you know, whereas 20 years ago was more commonplace when you think about Becker, Courier, Chang, Sampras, yeah. all these guys winning majors as yeah. teenagers. But th that's kind of gone away a little bit, and... um you know, I think I'm in that same department. I mean, the guy is, like you said, you run out of adjectives to describe, right? He's, he's got it all game-wise. His demeanor's incredible. His physique <laughs> is off the charts. Yeah, most then, gushing there. <laughs> you know, he's got Juan Carlos Ferrero in his corner, who obviously former world number one, knows how to win majors, yeah. kind of knows knows the path, right? And I, I think this is what somebody like, as you mentioned, Emma Raducanu was probably looking for, somebody like that yeah. who has, you know, has been in that situation, can chart the waters moving forward. And they just seem like such a composed unit, which is something I haven't really seen since the emergence of Rafael Nadal. He's mirroring his career to a T. Is Clay's best surface, by the way? I don't, I don't even know that I would agree. Question, I, I, yeah. I think it is a question. Well, it's um, not grass, I can tell you that. <laughs> Fair, yeah. No, I, probably, I think people probably said that about Rafa early on, that grass was like maybe would have been tough I, for him. But yeah. From what I've seen, uh, the Miami tournament was like a freight train, how he was playing. And I yeah. do think that there might be some awkwardness at times to some of his movement on clay, but he's still like amazing on clay as well. I think uh, just to kind of get to this, bringing this whole full picture, he's now the number three favorite going into Roland Garros. Wow. Oh, wow. That kind of seems where it should be. I mean, since he passes four, since he passes four. I mean, after well, I was going to say, like he's kind of owned him recently. Yeah, three and zero, oh, I think. Yeah. Who's number one? That's a joke. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but him is the number. <laughs> but him he is was the, actually going to answer that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but him is the number three. We would have, like you said, hearing hearing his Nadal's former coach say nine to ten majors would have sounded crazy. This guy's going to be the number three favorite going into Roland Garros six months ago. I don't think anybody outside the tennis world's like this is insane now, based on what we've seen. It's just it's a it's a remarkable run, and I think his confidence just keeps growing. So that's where I'm well, at. He's gonna also he's gonna win a major if he's a teenager. I think he turns 19 in May. Yeah, he's got four chances. So he's got four chances. You can hit your boy back up if he doesn't get it. Yeah, I mean, we had long discussions on it. I'm I'm not. 
it's hard to win a major. Not that I ever won one in singles, but um, I needed help. That's why won one in doubles. But do you uh, think it's fine? It's fascinating <laughs> though to look at it like you have to win these best of five matches. It's seven. It's a mental test, and yet, while well, we all understand that's a different ball game, he's like the one. Maybe I mean he like is the one where we're like I, we're all just kind of giving him that. Oh, he'll he'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, so when you think about winning a major as a teenager, I, I honestly don't think he can win the French this year. Um, obviously, we all know who's the clear favorite, but and I don't think he can win on grass, so that takes two right away. I do think he, as you mentioned, what's his best service right now? It's probably hard courts, yeah. so he may have a shot. I would agree U.S. Open would be the, the one US I would Open. say. Um, so, you know, it's going to be very entertaining. I mean, the game is in a great spot. It's I, so good because I, yeah. as the big names, the, the big three are on its way out kind of, and then the gap is closing with the other players. It's so good because the race is on so hard yeah. at the top. Now that Rafa got 21 and if he wins the French, he's two ahead. And that means Novak would need at least three more, which is a lot. But then you see Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, and these, it's not crazy to think yeah. that they're going to beat these players in three out of five. It's amazing. I do think, though, it's opening up so to good. the point where Alcaraz, with Nadal coming off of an injury and Djokovic trying to get matched tough, I think there is an opening at the French. Yeah, yeah. there's an opening. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, let's not forget about Sasha Zverev, right? I mean, he's probably the best player not to win a major right now, right, when you consider the guys. And he's going to be a force. Um, you know, Sitsipas, of course, finalist at the French. It's... Like Chiz just said, man, is the men's game in an exciting so place? <laughs> and, and Mark, I'll ask you this: like, how surprised should we be that Sitsipas didn't know the rule and got two points stock from him in that Alcaraz match? I don't think we should be that surprised, right? I mean, from what we've learned about Sitsipas, he's a little <laughs> bit in his own world. Would you say, Chiz? No, it reminds how would you classify. He had I two don't matches. Understand not knowing the yeah. rules. It reminds me of the NFL. <laughs> Every year, there's a tie, and they get the sound bites in the locker room, and they always pull the players. Are like, I didn't even know you could tie. I don't understand how you don't know the rules of your own professional sport. He's the guy in Australia who, on two separate matches, he won sets and won the match in one case and didn't know what was going on. Like he lost track of the score and just was in his own world, as you said. Um, I like that they have to crack down on this, though. And it seemed pretty fair to me. He just blew a gasket, and it was pretty much all she wrote after that. But this is kind of becoming not just that, obviously, but Sitsipas and the coaching drama each match. Like, I feel, I want to say bad for him, but it's unfortunate that this is kind of marring some excellent tennis between a bona fide, among a bona fide top five player for the last couple of years. Yeah, I agree with you. He, he's actually interesting, right? Because when you try to really break down, you know, the little bit that I've talked with him he's a super guy right and he's a very interesting person and you would automatically assume that he would be a crowd favorite but as you mentioned what happened at the u.s open last year a couple of different interactions i think that the public is not necessarily sure what opinion to take on sisipas which i think is a bit of a shame because i think he's he's refreshing for the game i think he's wow is the guy an athlete right i mean he is an athlete you know probably stands about six foot five when you see him in person moves incredibly well i mean Mm -hmm. something you know when i i remember when he first came on tour and i'm happy to admit when i'm wrong because i wasn't sure he was that great of a player and boy has he proved me wrong and part of the reason i overlooked possibly his greatness was i didn't understand what a great athlete he was Mm -hmm. um but you know getting back to the core of, of what you were asking is that I think he should be a fan favorite. I hope that this doesn't mar his reputation too much that we can 
not we, but the public can get past it because I think he's an exciting player. I just didn't like, I didn't really like anything about how he handled it and how he just completely was irreverent. What he said? Well, and, yeah, well, that, but the fact that he comes back over after two points, like, what did you just do? Like, you just, you know, I, he already had his blow up moment and he, he kept it going. He said he should be fired. Uh, last thing on that, I mean, I know you saw the match. You think fair or foul when he kind of took a flyby at Alcaraz at the end of the first set? I like to ask you these tennis questions. Well, you, Alcaraz comes to net. Comes to short. It's 40 love. I think mm -hmm. he's serving 5 4 40 love, five, yeah. Two. 40 love. It's a short uh, volley, and Tsitsipas, like a forehand grip in a way that the set's over, slaps it as hard as he can. Alcaraz moves out of the way. And as soon as Tsitsipas hits it, he's trying to peg him. Tsitsipas just goes to his towel. It doesn't look that way. And Alcaraz is just like staring at him. So would you agree that like he was totally trying to hit him or he was just annoyed that you have to put your hand and say sorry? And that, that that's totally it. Be found? I think that's all that's, Alcaraz that's, wanted. And then the crowd did boo a little bit. Yeah. But I think that's Tsitsipas. Yeah. And I think it's mm -hmm. interesting because, you know, not knowing his camp so well, that is a moment where you have a chance to, you know, kind of appease yourself to the crowd, but you don't make the right move there yeah. because yeah. you're, you're in your own world. And, yeah, yeah. and I think that's the thing. He, he is so isolated in his own world that, and Hey, part of it is maybe why he's also so good is that he doesn't care that much about public opinion. I mean, we, you know, you saw the scrutiny he was under at the U S open last year and mm -hmm. he still was like, Hey, I'm doing what I do for myself. If you can't get past that, then that's your own problem, right? And yeah. as we know in in society, that's not normally the that's not no. normally the right answer. That Murray match was probably the moment where the general public was just kind of like, "Oh, this guy's kind of weird. He's not handling it the right way." Yeah. And it's well, easy to jump on Murray's side too when he's yes. verbally saying out loud, and he's not apologizing or yeah. saying sorry for yeah. the inconvenience. But that's good stuff. It is. I love it. Peg him and <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. Not say sorry. That's good. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply couple more things with Mark Knowles and Jeff Chisver here yeah, on Tennis Channel Insight. And, yeah, some people, somebody's got to do it. Uh, Novak Djokovic loses the final of his tournament to Andre Rublev. Big win for Rublev, wins that last set, six love. Mark, it was, I think we can all agree, it's not a results-based uh, thing for Novak early. He's been pretty open about he's building his fitness and his level to get to the majors. What would you like, what maybe you didn't like from Novak in this tournament run? Well, I think I'm a little surprised. I mean, it's it's come out that he mentioned that he's been battling illness, which kind of makes a little bit more sense because obviously we know that he's limited in matches having, you know, been out for a long time. Obviously, he's dealt with a lot of off-court stress with, you know, figuring out when he can and can't play based on COVID protocols and so forth. Um, I'm just a little surprised. Maybe wasn't as surprised in Monte Carlo um, that he didn't have the, I, I guess, the you know, enough in the tank to, to withstand Davidovich Fakina. Um, I just felt that maybe by Belgrade, a couple more weeks, you know, getting used to matches, even though he did have some tough matches, as we know, throughout the week, I just was surprised to see him go away physically in that third set. I mean, you know, 
we've seen Novak, of course, we've attached him to being superhuman for so long. Um, you know, <laughs> what an incredible oh. champion, just a physical machine. But, you know, after securing a very gritty second set at home, where you'd think you'd get a little bit more energy, a little bit more inspiration, you know, he just went away. But like I said, once again, yeah. it's come out that he's been battling with illness. So clearly, physically, he's yeah. not where he wants to be. And I'm not discounting yeah. Novak Djokovic, that's for sure. I know we're going to see an entirely different one when it comes to maybe, you know, maybe before the French, but definitely the French, we're going to see a different Novak Djokovic. It's just funny, Jeff, like how much of a kind of a nice luxury it is. Like when your ranking is so so good, you have the ability to put all your focus on tournaments down the road. Just think about players that just can't, yeah. you know, can't do that. Well, so what, he has the record for weeks at number one. He's won every Masters twice. It's like we said, there's literally nothing to play for except the majors, not to mention there's two more Masters 1000s before Roland Garros to get ready. I guess the only thing I'm curious about is he can feel fine with his game, but because tennis is such a mental sport, how important is it for players like Rublev or Jera, who had, I didn't have match points, but he was there, Ketchmanovich, three sets. Like, how important is it for other players to see Novak lose just to have the feeling when you walk on the court that is he now a little more beatable? This, yeah, this is, is where that, I, this is where I go to the best of five thing, though. It's like yeah, with Rafa, yeah. too. Like, I think it's, yeah. even, even it's great. You feel like you can take the court, you can beat anybody, but it has to be, and you would know better than anyone, a different... Mental challenge, like, I got to beat three out of five. You're spot on, yeah. right? I'll, I'll take you back two years ago. I had a conversation with Nick Kyrgios, and we were just having kind of an off-the-record conversation, and we got to talking about three out of five and two out of three. And in my eyes, obviously, he's one of the most dangerous opponents for the top guys, and so we started talking about it. And, you know, he, he even said, he goes, two out of three, I feel like I can beat all those guys. Three out of five just changes. He goes, I know I've got to be consistent for a lot longer period. So I think you're spot on there, but I think Chiz is on to something as well. There, you know, it's such a mental game. I do think that the other players are elevating their belief based on the results they're seeing. Um, but I do think that three out of five sets, I even think that this, let's say the second tier of players and below realize that beating the top guys, the Nadals, the Fedders, the Djokovic's in three out of five in a major yeah. is, an, I'd say, an entirely different task. Nusetti and Tsitsipas last year, I think, up two sets to love yeah. on Novak. Wow. And I forgot Nusetti did he that. Won the yeah. yeah, and just thinking, like, Nadal, the year of the COVID RG, came back to Madrid, I think, after an injury layoff, gets, like, beat pretty weirdly by Diego Schwartzman yep. in a terrible match for him and then yeah. figures it all out, you know, best of five, all she wrote. Well, I do, again, you know, congrats to uh, Rublev. That was big for him to kind of get back on the winning track. Uh, had had some issues in finals, and then match play wasn't going the best for him. And also, I mean, it's unfortunate, but there's probably a lot weighing on him at this moment in his career. Yeah, I mean, Rublev's interesting because he had so much success, obviously, at the 500 level. He's yet to translate it at the majors you know, obviously a very exciting player. For me, the biggest thing for him is he's got to be a little bit better on the backhand side. He's a little predictable, goes cross-court most of the time, is not aggressive, is not offensive enough with the two-hander up the line, which you see some of the best, you know, players in the world, the Novaks, they're able to take that two-hander up the line, change the direction of the rally. Um, obviously, Rublev's always looking for the forehand. 
Um, so I think, and I think the last couple of weeks we've seen him being a little bit more offensive with the two-handed back and defending a little bit better off that side. So I think that's going to be the key for him. But as you mentioned, we, we have no idea what he's going through yeah. with kind of managing the off-court struggles. But, you know, full credit to him securing another title. I've been trying to figure out his, his ceiling for a long time. Like, where do you see his, I guess, is he, is he a player that's going to be contending and possibly winning majors? Is this about where you see him, like, on that top 10 fringe? What do you think his apex is? I remember listening to... Courier call match recently, and it was an interesting stat. He said that Rublev, I think out of anyone in the top 100, had the biggest difference between speed of first and second serve. I don't know if there's something there, like maybe, I don't know, more variety on the serve, maybe thinking it more, you know, going for less on the first serve or whatnot. I think the obvious thing is when you have someone who just brute force, big grunter, hitting it hard, does he have the improv skills, like the Mm in-between game, you know, come to net. I don't know if you need to, good at the net to win a grand slam i'd like to think if you can get to the quarters or semis yeah you're you're always in it right but it sounds like what you were saying earlier with uh the going back to what you said the plan a doesn't the players that right if plan a doesn't work it's just more of the same it's i would i would think for everyone that's into tennis that would seem the obvious thing with rublev does he have like the total game um you know, I remember when, when Novak got to a different level when the drop shot started getting good, and he's so good at defending the drop shot with the little cat and mouse and, like, the pitter-patter at the net. That would be, I would say that would be his weakness. Well, I'm, I'm a fan of what he does and still, what, 24, 25? Like, he's right at that age where it's probably going to be the next step or or not. I mean, that's, like, there are levels to this, and, yeah. you know, it's it's hard to keep, keep on going, and you know there's always another generation like Alcaraz coming up, so... Yeah, I mean, I think for him, he's got the offensive game. Another key for him is how well can he defend, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's face it, to win a major, you got to play seven really good matches, right? But there is going to be, I don't know, one to three of those matches where you're not on, that you've got to figure out a way to get through those matches. And that's called defending well, being yeah. a little bit mature, more mature on the court. And I think, listen, in a major, it's tough, right? It's over a two-week period. You're going to run into hot players, right? Last yeah. year at the French, I believe he lost to Jan Leonard Struff in five sets, a guy with a big game. Like, you've got to find a way through those matches to allow yourself to get to the second week, yeah. you know, to then when you're when you're confident, playing well, then you can really impose yourself. Yeah, that I mean, we it, I circle it back to Rafa because it's 17 straight years in the top 10 just celebrating this week, and I've always given him the credit of, He's won more matches where he's not like looked like the better player, and I mean that respectfully. Like he's been able to court at Indian Wells this year, defend, figure out a way, switch up tactics, just survive in advance, for lack of a better term. I mean, have you ever seen a better competitor in any sport? No sport. I mean, same. Think about that. I mean, and I've gone on record with a lot of people, and I respect every single athlete, and I'm a sports fanatic. The, yeah. the Jordans, the Woods, yeah. the Gretzkys. There is no greater competitor in my eyes mm. than Rafael Nadal. When you think about, and, and the reason I say that is you, you break down tennis. We've all played matches, whether it be 40 love, whether it be four love, yeah. where your mindset is, I'm not going to give 100%. I've been around the game for a long time. I've, I've played, watched, commentated Rafael Nadal. I've never seen him not give 100% on a point. I never have. Wow. If, if someone has, please send me a clip of it. Because I haven't. So if you really break that down, 
It's Think sick. about how crazy that is. <laughs> you have to be crazy. He's never taken a play off, yeah, which insane. is, mm. and it speaks to his mentality. I mean, yeah. he is one of the greatest champions in any sport and just nothing but admiration for Rafael Nadal. To do what he's done for so long, to stay motivated and to stay. I mean, he just thoroughly loves the game and he loves competing. It's half uh, his life, right? Yeah. 17 when he's 30. Oh, yeah. Well, before we wrap this up, it's been a pleasure, fellas. Uh, Wait, are we going to talk rules? We can talk rules. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Oh. Talk rules. Oh. No, no, introduce it. Rules of tennis. What? Just because Knowles is on the inside of all, all right. the rules and the board introduce and everything. It. All right. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, okay, yeah. Okay, so... <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to give you three rules. Which, I mean, which of the three would, you, if one of them had to, change, had to change, would you be most down for? And then, which of the three would the players be most oh, down? I know for? where this is going. Okay, one of them's obvious. It's the lets where we don't play lets. If it hits the ball, goes yeah. hits the net, goes over, you just play on, right? Yeah. The other one would be, I know this is crazy. Like I know it's not going to happen. Sudden death deuce. Okay, and then the other one would be a 10-point tiebreaker for all deciding sets, whether it's the third set or the fifth set. So I already know all the reasons why certain people would like This is easy like for it. me. So, so the first question is, which of the three, if the players had to vote and had to concede one of those, which one would they choose? Mm. The players. It definitely would not be the last one. They would not take the 10-point tiebreaker. I don't think it would be the... Yeah. Um, you know, I think it would probably be the lets. The key thing on the lets is that you'd have to have uniformity amongst the tension of the net, right? Because we all know that if yeah. it's super tight, it's, it's going to hit, it's going to just bounce up and result in a sitter. If the tension is super loose, it's going to hit and just dribble over. If you could have a uniform tension... But we don't have that now. And it yeah, we don't have that point. capability. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, yeah, the easiest one, and I've been an advocate of this for 10 years, yeah. uh -huh. is the middle one. The deuce. The deuce, 1,000%. Yes. So I have a different iteration of it. So... Obviously, I played the game in doubles when they brought in the no-ad scoring and the receiver had the choice. Mm -hmm. I clearly feel in singles, it should be no-ad scoring and the server should have the choice. And I've talked about this, and the reason I say the player, I've talked about it with Roger. Roger obviously is, you know, he, he <laughs> loves the game of yeah. tennis and the rules and he's a traditionalist, so he basically told me to shut up. But, um, <laughs> you know, I also spoke at length with Andy Roddick about it, obviously a huge server. And he actually was a little bit open. He goes, you know what, Mark? That's okay. The fact that the server has the choice at three all, because I wouldn't like that the receiver does. Oh. Andy, speaking for Andy as a big server. Yeah. He's like, I feel like you're taking away a little bit of my advantage. strength and my advantage. But if you allow me to choose which side on the no ad, I would be open to that. And to me, I just think that the way the world is going, hey, we all love excitement, right? The more exciting points, the better yes. off. Yes. And so I'm a complete advocate of this, the second one. This has gone a little better than when you pitch this to other analysts and former <laughs> former players. So yeah, people, how fun would that be to I think, see a sudden well, death point from Roger you, and Rafa? That's you, cool. Do you think that there would be a middle ground where it would be like, what, we said three deuces? Third deuce? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, that would that probably would be, be a good way to introduce yeah. it. I mean, the problem is, as you just highlighted yeah. with Sitsipas, he doesn't even know if it's match points. So yeah, that's true. Sitsipas would be all over the He wouldn't know if it's the second deuce or the third yeah. deuce. But listen, I think, listen, I've talked to a lot of players about this because, like I said, I'm an advocate of it. I'm a, I'm, I'm a total supporter of this. Um, a, l a lot of players have been open to it, actually. I mean, obviously, 
actually putting it I, into as a rule is a whole different. As we know, I don't want tennis to, is like it. golf. We've done it with the well, serve clock. There tennis is like a golf. Tiebreaker, it's a traditional. Well, yeah, you can't you can't say that rules don't like extra points right. got changed in football after a hundred years of just putting on the one, and Good it's call. way better. Now. Yes, way better. The serve clock. Um, Wasn't that weird? And for I will some say, first? not to plug you know your work with world team tennis, but. I was down there last year, and, and a winner-take-all point for everything was Dude, kind of fun. don't make me start on the last. It doesn't make any sense. That's the thing. It's the elephant in the room. If you took any casual fan, wait, so during the point, it counts, but it doesn't yeah. during the serve? It doesn't make any sense. And by the way, all three of these, everyone knows people think five sets is too long. No one wants to t- want to watch a tennis match for five hours. If it's, if it's Djokovic, Rafa, I'm down, but... Everything like movies, two and a half hours too long no, for so movies. I mean, I, and I have this conversation wants all to cut the, down time the time with people. Listen, I am a tennis fanatic. I love tennis. Yeah. I love tennis. I mean, I'm a guy that will watch tennis, whatever. But even myself, I can't watch an entire five sets of a match. Mm-hmm. I can't. I yeah. can't. I, you know, whether it be family, whether it be responsibilities, whether it be life, very few people can. So. It's hard because tennis is such a traditional game, right? So, oh, and, right. and people will argue, well, don't you remember the 24, 22nd five-set match from Wimbledon? The most epic was yeah, the great. Nadal, Federer. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But still, I don't think that if you introduce a sudden death point, it changes that. You still have five wow. sets, but you don't have those games that maybe go 10, 12 yes. deuces and well, say you have eight the, of those in beauty, a match. Isn't the beauty of this that there are different level events? Like you see rule changes in... Like minor league basketball, minor league yeah. hockey, like try some stuff out. But also, isn't it about event. isn't it about bringing in new viewers? Yeah. Yes, so I have this argument. Fans. So, yeah. so I'm next, by the way. Uh, European <laughs> soccer, or you know, football <laughs> as it's referred to in Europe. Yeah. Uh, soccer as it's referred to for us. I don't really watch it, but when it's penalty kicks, I'm watching. Right. And mm-hmm. I know the loyal right. soccer football fan thinks that that's blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Right. right. They're like, that it's is the worst. That's yeah. that's not a true yeah. winner. Yeah. But you brought in new fans because it's the only way I'm watching because that is so exciting. Yes. Right. And it's a brutal way to lose. But you know what? It's life. Right. Let me go to the 10 pointer <laughs> because the other day we were calling a match yeah. and it was a marathon second set match point save the tiebreaker ended and then it was time for a third set. Right. And everyone knows this is what happens. I'd like to pull the fans what they would prefer after that amazing second set. Then we go back to zero, zero and a hundred percent. The energy drops in the stadium. People probably leave to go to the bathroom and it's like, okay, zero, zero. It's almost like hit me up when it gets to four all. There was so much momentum of excitement at the end of the second set. And then they split. I understand that the better player would want to play more tennis because it's more legitimate. Mm-hmm. The better player is going to come on top more often. I would assume that's what the better player thinks. But I'm actually curious if you ask the players right then, and would this be a crazy rule? After you split you sets, get a mutual agreement. You ask the players, <laughs> hey, if you're both down for a 10-pointer, do it. If not, you go on for the third set. But like, you talked about the fans, yeah. and 100%, the energy goes down because we just had all that momentum and excitement. And then you know it when the third set starts – it's kind of just like, bleh, like I don't know. The, the energy drops. And the 10-point tiebreaker is not that short. If you have to win 10 points, that's two and a half games that you win. It's a half a set. Yeah, I just, you know, having played both formats on the ATB Tour, especially in, the, in doubles, obviously, where you had the regular scoring and then they yeah. brought in the 10-point breaker and the no-ad. The trouble there with having both of them yeah. at play on tour and the ATB Tour was the fact that there were several times that you could actually win like 
you could win 10 to 14 more points right. than the other team and lose a match you get because, more because you had both. Because yeah. you had both, right? I so I think you should probably do one or the other. Um, and granted, listen, even in today's game, there's probably in a singles match, there's the odd occasion where somebody's won two or five more points and they end up losing. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, in do, doing both in doubles is hard because you could lose the first set 6-1. And, and we all had that mentality. You know what? You just lost the first set 6-1. But, hey, find any way to win the second set, maybe 7-6, whatever. Grind it out, and then you're in a 10-point breaker. It's, anybody, it's anybody's match, yeah. right? Like, so I think – but I, I, I do think no ad is – man, I, I, I like it. Wow, see. That's cool. Your pitch is How getting cool is good. That? Yeah. Conversation with Roger Vess. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Roger didn't like it though. But. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Everything in sports they change rules. Mitch, you said it yeah. in football. It's not that big of a deal. That is interesting to hear to a big server like it. Because that to me was the most interesting thing. He says that Roddick would be on board if he gets to choose. Because you would think if anyone's gonna have resistance to not trusting their serve, I got, you know, a couple points to work with. But, but he had, he had a yeah, good he rationale. It. He was like, listen, that's fair yeah. because I'm getting the choice of choosing which side. And even though he's can serve any spot, any side, mm-hmm. he's like, I do have a preference of which side and which serve I want to hit. Yeah. And he was like, you know what? If you can handle my best stuff, my then you deserve, yeah. you deserve the break. Oh, legit. Well, fellas, I appreciate it. Uh, Munich and Estoril this week. We'll hear you on the call. Chiz, changing rules, He's baby. changing rules and stuff. I did have one last thing. Are you guys both, like, noted Laker fans with no one to root for now? Yeah, I'm a 100% <laughs> Lakers fan. Are you, are you guys, so is did you Chiz, pick so. a casual team? I mean, Dallas maybe? Yeah, for I mean, it's my yeah. casual team. Obviously, yeah. being in Dallas, Luka's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. How good is Luka? Yeah, did you see him incredible. last night? Yeah, Luca is the man. All yeah. of my rooting interest is <laughs> is is hinging upon what that would mean for the coaches and which coach would come to the Lakers. Yeah. So I want Jazz out early, down for Quinn Snyder. I mm. want 76ers to go deep, not down Whoa. for Doc Rivers. <laughs> I feel like is there a chance oh, we're looking at Doc Rivers' Mona Lisa blowing a three zero lead? <laughs> three, were they 3-1? They were 3-0, yeah. and now it's 3-2. Oh. Now it's 3-2. Oh, wow, it's 3 They got beat by 15 going, at home last night. And it's night. going back to Toronto. Wow. So I know you want them to just go all the way so Doc's not a Laker coach. Yes. But. Although I feel like he's gone regardless as, as long as they don't win at all. I think even if they went to the NBA. Well, finals, he'd be gone. it's hard for me to have any real sympathy for Laker fans, but I'm just going to pretend I do. So <laughs> I feel bad for you guys. Uh, Mark Knowles, Jeff Chisber, thanks for joining the show. Thanks fun. for having us. That was awesome. Tennis Channel Inside In can be found on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. We will be back next week for a new episode on the road to Roland Garros action in Madrid. Can't wait for that. For Mark Knowles and Jeff Chisber, I am Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.